Hey, it's good to see y'all. Maybe, uh, there we go. Now you can see me. Well, you could already see me. I know, I know you was, it wasn't that dark in here. Hey, I just want to say uh, yesterday was a gorgeous day for the Walk for Life. It was cool to see. We had a, we had a little crew out there uh, doing that, raising money for the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Richmond. And so that was, that was really cool. We can celebrate that a little bit. And like Chip, like Chip mentioned, last week we kicked off a brand new series called Family Matters. And so we talked last week about why it matters that we follow God's ideal for the family and how, why that's meaningful and what it does for us, not only just in our lives, the lives of uh, the family members to come or that have come before us. And the way that we do that is we focus ourselves on becoming the family member that God has redeemed us to be. And so that's, that's how we start to pursue that family ideal that God has for us in scripture. So no matter what your family dynamic is, our submission to one another out of reverence for Christ kind of puts us in the direction that God wants us to take for our families. But submission isn't necessarily our default setting. So we talked about submitting to one another. We didn't talk a whole lot about defining that. It takes learning. It takes practice. And, you know, some of us, when we think of submission, we think of a dog rolling over in front of us. Do you ever, well, I think of that. My sister's dog would do this early on when I would come up to it. And I guess, you know, you know, just kind of intimidating guy. I mean, you know, you can see how that would happen. But the dog would do one of two things. It would either roll over on its back and stick its legs up, or it would crouch down really low and turn to the side and empty its bladder. <laughs> and that was her way, Maddie's way of submitting to me. And she's a, you know, she's a, she's a great dog. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about rolling over and letting another human in our life be the dominant force. We are talking about, though, mutual submission, which is a symbiotic relationship in which our goal isn't just to satisfy ourselves. That together with others, we are working toward a shared common purpose to prioritize God's way of being in relationship, which places the interests of others above our own. And as we learn this and as we adapt to this and we grow in this in life, there's going to be an ongoing tension between our independence, our individuality, and our interdependence. And because of that tension, there's always going to be conflict, family conflict. Isn't, isn't that what you're excited to talk about and think about this morning? Family conflict. That's why we go to the family reunions, right? For the entertainment. To see what's going to happen. I've got a completely made-up statistic for you. You can Google this. You won't find it here. It's completely anecdotal. But I, I've got this theory. About 30% of us go to Thanksgiving just knowing there's going to be a fight. 70% of us you go in, and we know our family is so passive-aggressive that we'd rather just be uncomfortable with each other the whole time. And then about 10% of us don't have any issues at all. You just trust me on that. Do the math later. When it comes to family conflict, it's not so much a question of if your family fights, it's really just a question of how your family fights, because every family has conflict. And I'm going to say something that sounds a little controversial, maybe, to you, because at some one point earlier on in my life, I didn't believe this, but, I, it, but it is true, fighting isn't actually the problem. So, so I want to give yourselves, uh, give, give yourselves some grace. Have you ever thought that before? It's like the fact that we fight at all, like that, that is the issue. And yes, in a utopian, ideal world where we're all perfect, which, which we're not, you know, that would be the case. We're not going to be fighting in heaven, for, for example. But fighting isn't the problem. It's how we fight and what we're fighting for that causes the issues for us. 
Some of the best things in life are worth fighting for, being passionate about, sticking to the godly foundation upon which our conviction should be based. You know, submission isn't about agreeing on everything. It's not about checking our brains to the door. It's not about letting somebody else be the dominant force in our life if it's not God. It doesn't mean that we live in fear, but it does mean that we seek God's will over the will of the family. And so somebody in our family asks us to do something wrong or sinful, we fight against that. And some of you have been fighting against those things for years, facing battles no one should face. And I want to encourage you in that to be thoughtful and working toward what God has given you the strength to fight for and not be so worried and anxious about what you're fighting against or who you're fighting against. Um, And make sure you don't do that alone. You have godly men and women that can be in your life, who can surround you, who can be your advocates and walk through those things with you. And we're going to pick up on some of those things as we move through, through the sermon. But in general... Most of the time, we don't have the capacity for writing the right, fighting the right battles because we're so focused on the petty wrong ones that we get caught up in. Uh, more energy on more selfish pursuits within our relationships. And James calls us out on this in James chapter 4. So this is the half-brother of Jesus who writes in the New Testament. And after spending some time talking about taming the tongue... And what wisdom looks like in James chapter 3, he starts off chapter 4 of James with this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, I can appreciate how maybe you might read that passage and think that that's too simplistic of an explanation for the deeply complex, nuanced family conflicts or issues that you've had, the feelings and emotions that kind of well up in you when you think about family conflict. But isn't this how every complex conflict starts? It really does start off as something simple, something small, and, and maybe we're not sure where the root issue is to that or what caused it to begin with, but it really does start small and grows over time. Listen, I've done plenty of weddings, and I've never done one where I've gone up to the happy couple and talked to them about their relationship, and they say, you know what we're really, really excited about? As we figure that, you know, we're joining together for life, you know, with this forever love. But, you know, around about year seven, we're, we're, we're going to call it quits. We think that's going to be good enough. And so we're going to go ahead and plan that out. And that's how we're going to. No, nobody goes into that planning for the relationship to go that way. So how does it get to that point? It often gets to that point because there's a conflict there, whether that begins in the relationship or was already present there at the beginning with that wasn't dealt with that grows over time and becomes so deeply rooted and seemingly so insurmountable that the relationship can't continue in a healthy and fulfilling way. And when James is talking about this, he's not just limiting this to family conflict. He's talking about conflict in general, right? So we, we end up doing these things in all of our interpersonal relationships at some point down, down the line. The same problems we have with others happen with the people closest, closest to us. And so here's the culprit's conflict that James identifies. What we want, these are the desires that we have, and that causes conflict. What we're jealous about or jealous of, man, that's, that's a heavy one. What we don't ask God for, often because we're looking for another human being to fulfill those things that we're supposed to look God, to God for to begin with. And so we get frustrated with someone when they can't fulfill the things that they were never meant to for us. 
And sometimes we do ask and we don't receive and we're like, God, what in the world? Why didn't you give me this perfect thing that, that I've asked for? And so many times that comes down to, James says, from our wrong motives. That because when we get that thing that we want finally, we're probably not going to use it for the altruistic reasons that we might think. Because we're motivated maybe by the wrong things. So if you were to run every family conflict you've experienced or that you are experiencing through this filter that James gives, chances are that you're going to hit one of these somewhere down the line and you'll follow that trail back to the root cause and issue of what has established this problem within your relationships. Sometimes, you know, I'm not necessarily saying who the fault, who's at fault here. I'm not saying you are always the one at fault or it's always someone else. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's someone else. Sometimes it's a very complicated, intertwined mix of the two, depending on how long we let that conflict get down the line. But if we're willing to evaluate this wisely, without solely being driven by our emotions and the heat of the moment, you might be able to track those things back and then discover how you can move forward with that person in a healthy way to deal with that conflict. The bottom line is this is that family conflict comes down to someone loving themselves more. And, and maybe that, I guess that could sound fairly heavy-handed. And so I'm not saying that all of us are, you know, classical narcissists and we're so focused on it. No, it's just that, that little twist of sometimes we get into arguments and we get into conflicts because we're really not as concerned about the other person as we are with ourselves. Renee and I are coming up on 17 years of marriage, and we've had our fair share of disagreements, you would say. What? Are, you, are you clapping about the years of marriage or that we've had our fair share of disagreements? Because I'm not... Okay, all right. So the disagreements part. All right, got, got you. All right. So we're coming up... And, and disagreements, I, that's, a, that's a little easier of a word for me to say, right? But that's probably not accurate or as honest as I could be. I mean, we've had downright arguments and fights. Is that fair, fair to say? And, and, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've won one or two. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I've won a lot more than that. Uh, it, <laughs> oh, man. But it is a game changer for us knowing that we come back to the same foundational biblical worldview and pursuit of God's wisdom when it comes down to how we approach our relationship with each other and with our kids, with the other family members that we have. This is how we know the right sacrifices and decisions to make as we navigate family life. This past week, um, I, had, I had two bad dreams. Actually, I had three bad dreams, and this never happens to me. And so Renee, she's like, what is wrong with you? I was like, I don't know. I've been trying to figure that out. I, I, so I don't know if it's something I ate or what, what's going on. Maybe it was the pollen getting to me, uh, something. Uh, but two of those dreams were directly about me having big blow-up arguments with, peop- with, with a family member. And only one of those was Renee. And I'm not going to tell you what it was about. I didn't, tell her, <laughs> I didn't even tell her <laughs> what it was about. And I won't tell you who won. Um, I just know I was right. And, and, here, and here's what I've found to be ironic about that, or, or maybe it was really providential, you know, as I, as I know that this sermon is coming and I've been thinking about all week, you know, family conflict and what that looks like. And I think about those dreams that I had and just how 
it was really me just going on this self-centered diatribe of saying all the things that I really wanted to say, you know, that would inevitably, if I were to say those things completely unfiltered, all that would come across is that I was totally only caring about myself in this situation and saying all the things that would just completely break the relationship. And so naturally, I didn't wake up and go repeat any of it because it had nothing to do with loving others. It had nothing to do with the actual conflict that actually existed or any kind of real solution to that. It was just me throwing a temper tantrum in my dream, which is weird. And I don't know why that happened. It does, I promise you, that, that's a really weird thing to happen. Um, but, but So I didn't go up and repeat any of it because it had nothing to do with loving others. It was focused on me and would not pass the, the, the muster or the evaluation against what James says. Hey, what, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Sometimes it's just you being selfish and self-centered, and it doesn't really accomplish anything that God desires for our relationships. And if we don't have a biblical foundation, if we don't have a, a place to go back to and say, hey, this is how we're going to structure this relationship, how we're going to deal through the, with this conflict, what does God have to say about this, how should we navigate through these things, and all the things that we struggle with and deal with, God, there, there's a foundation for that in Scripture. And so we can go back to that for those issues. If we don't have that mutually submitted to godly standard of ideal for what our family should be or how we should navigate through conflict, it will be incredibly difficult to navigate this well. By the way, this is why how we start a family is so important. Why there's an ideal way for us to progress through the steps of that relationship. How, how a marriage starts, for example. Why we don't put the cart before the horse when it comes to intimacy in the relationship because that's when we place the physical connection ahead of the commitment and we get things backwards and it's harmful and it hurts us down the road. It's also why we shouldn't be unequally yoked. 2 Corinthians 6.14 it talks about that. Paul talks about this and how within our relationships, if we don't have this common shared foundation of how we look at life and how we're going to approach things, it's going to be a problem for us down the road. It's going to be so much harder to come back to commonality if our worldview, if our foundation for life is not shared. And so whether you're married or whether you have kids or, 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 you know, or not, you have family. And God desires for all of us to experience a shared foundation for life. If we don't have that, it's going to cause family conflict. It's unavoidable because we're human, but if we have a shared ideal of love, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, based on Jesus, we have a healthy path forward to dealing with it. When we don't, we're less likely to work to resolve that conflict. We're more likely to let it slide, to shove it under the rug, to let it build and fester until bitterness and jealousy and anger take over. And that unresolved conflict leads to a hardened heart. And it's the hardened heart that, unless it is softened, will break the relationship. That's the irony of loving ourselves more than others. It never leads quite where you might think. There's a time in Jesus' ministry in which Pharisees, teachers and interpreters of the Jewish law, actually came to Jesus and tried to trap him in an argument about family conflict. And here's what happens in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? 
And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And what they were doing is they were looking to trap Jesus and get him down into the weeds of a discussion and an argument about when is a divorce okay and when is it not? And keep in mind, Jesus is speaking with men who are coming up to question him, who are permitting using the law basically as a loophole for essentially switching sexual partners whenever they wanted to. And I'm not saying all of them believe this at this point, but there's a major debate where there's a big camp that believe that, hey, guys, you can divorce your wife for any reason. I mean, she doesn't have any say in the matter, you know, at this point in this context and what's happening. But you can divorce her for any reason you want. Burnt your toast? Done. Like, like, like make it happen, and that's, that's, uh, that, that you can divorce her. And then, of course, there are those who would condemn someone for having been divorced, no matter what the reason might be. And Jesus isn't interested in this discussion at all. So he doesn't even go there with the Pharisees. Instead, Jesus reminds them of what happens when a man and a woman become married because he's more concerned about the conditions of our hearts when they reach that breaking point, the way that it harms what God has designed the marriage relationship and the family relationship to be. And, and simply, you know, when, when we have unresolved conflict in our lives, it leads to hardened hearts. And when one spouse allows their heart to be hardened toward the other, doesn't share the same, same godly foundation for life and moving through that conflict, it could lead to irreversible damage to what was originally intended. There's a picture here for what our relationship with God looks like. Because what God invites us into is a cycle of love and unity, grace and mercy, forgiveness that he wants to share with us in an ongoing way. And it's, it's, it's when we break it, when our hearts become hardened, when we do our own thing, focus on ourselves, that then we face the consequences of pain and suffering. And yet God still steps in with grace and mercy, picks up the slack on our end, moves through that conflict and gives us Jesus so that we could be reconciled and redeemed back in relationship with him so it doesn't have to stay broken. And this is why Jesus isn't interested in condemnation here. Oh, let, let's see who we can condemn and, and find fault with on who, but leading to a better way through the conflict. And so we head back to James 4. It's like, what, are the, what, are the, what is the litmus test? Like, what do we go through to see what's happening here? Is this based on just because we want what we want? Is it because of jealousy? Is it because we're not asking God and we're looking for somebody else to fulfill something God should be fulfilling in our life? Is it because we have wrong motives? And so that brings us to what we need to do, first of all, in order to resolve conflict and what we're able to do when we can't resolve the conflict. And, and it really all just comes down to this. We have to resolve conflict with conversation. It's just not gonna happen any other way. We can't just hope it goes away. We can't just sit there and ignore it and, and hope that you know, it's never talked about again. We have to, we have, to have a conversation. And that conversation has to start with what we have in common with that other person, the foundation that we've built the relationship on. Ultimately, if that's God, you've got a stronger foundation than any other because that's a love that conquers all. If it's built on something else, let me, let me encourage you to start working on moving that foundation to, to God rather, rather than whatever it was on before. And let me, let me define terms here for just a second. When I say conversation, I, I do mean conversation and, and having a, a, a discussion. Sometimes because of our emotion, because of our passion, we think of the word conversation as meaning confrontation and condemnation. But that's not, that's not what the word conversation means. 
And, and yes, there are going to be times where we have to confront, you, you know, some things. But, but when, I, when I say not confrontation and condemnation, I'm talking about without going in with a predetermined idea of what the result is going to be, right? It's like, oh, I'm going in, I, like I'm going in guns blaze. I'm going to confront you, and I'm going to show you exactly where you've been wrong and exactly what you need to do to get it right because I, I've got this down, right? I'm perfect, and so I know where you've been wrong in this, and I need to fix you. And that's, that's going to break the relationship. It's not going to create a door for reconciliation for us to walk through with that other person. And so we resolve conflict through conversation first by talking with God, that's where the conversation begins, spending time in prayer. And that prayer is a two-way communication. It's us, yes, talking to God, asking for wisdom, but it's also listening to him and giving time and space for him to speak to us through this Holy Spirit, through his word. Um, and so he can advocate for us in that situation where that conversation needs to take place in our lives. Uh, we need to be committed for the long haul in that, in that conversation. I actually wanted to uh, make this say be an ent. Yeah, and that's why I didn't say that, because that's about the response that I expected. So in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, The Two Towers, there's this character called Treebeard, and he's a living tree, and he says, we never say anything unless it is worth taking a long time to say. And sometimes in those conversations, what we want is we want to go in 15 minutes, tell them what we have to say, and like want everything to be resolved and fixed, but that's not how it always happens. And so we can't sweep things under the rug or become passive or passive-aggressive in those things. We have to be willing to actually work it out. It may be uh, something that you need to schedule and say, hey, we need, to, we need to talk about the budget like on this day at this time. What, whatever that thing is, like, we need to sit down and have this discussion. It may be an ongoing thing through the years and engage with as you go. You have to be able to fight fair, and that means taking time to deliberate and not be purely emotionally driven in what you say and how you say it. A commitment to speak the truth in love will take time for us to develop and time for the other person to be able to process and to hear. And then have godly men and women in your life that you turn to for counsel. You and I need people that are not just our family member, not just our spouse, not just our kid, not just our grandparent, who can call us out on our junk. Because sometimes we have blind spots in the conflict that we have with others. Sometimes the way that we talk, sometimes the way that we phrase things, sometimes the attitudes that we have, sometimes our perspective is just off. It's just wrong. And so we need people who can help us and who model a godly approach in their relationship in their own family. Everybody has family drama. And we need to seek out the people who aren't creating it in their own families, but are helping one another to navigate navigate through it. And here, here's the thing. You, unfortunately, we can all follow scripture in this and be perfect on our end with this conflict and how we navigate it with someone else and still have a family member or a spouse or wh whomever it is whose heart is just not soft enough for the conversation that needs to be had. Some of us have felt very deeply the personal or familial sting of what happens as a result of this. Sometimes it's estrangement. Sometimes it's just bitterness for years. Sometimes it's divorce. Sometimes it's abuse from people who we should never expect that from and shouldn't ever have to feel those things from. 
And some of us have navigated through this, and we've, and we've done it well. Some of us are fighting through it right now, and some of us will in the future, and I know it's a struggle. And you need to know that when you're doing your best to follow God's will in this, that it is not on you to carry that load. That, that God is wanting to lift that from your shoulders, and that you need to give yourself the same forgiveness, the same grace, the same mercy that God desires to give you. But if we're dealing with that, here's, here's where we need to be within that conflict. When we're dealing with someone who just doesn't care, who doesn't share the same foundation, who isn't willing to work it out with you uh, because their hearts are hardened, here's where we need to be. We need to not let the hardness of somebody else's heart harden ours. And, and that's, that's a very, that's a tough tough place to be in. God supplies an infinite pouring out of forgiveness and grace without condemnation as we follow Jesus. And so, first of all, like I mentioned, we can't withhold that from ourselves in that situation. We can't control somebody else and their side of what's going on. We can only deal with with ourselves and make sure you aren't forgiving yourself less than what God already has, you know, giving yourself less grace than what God has already given. And then we can't withhold that same grace and forgiveness from others. The more self-righteous we are in conflict, the more egregious our hypocrisy becomes when it comes to our credibility. There will be times, and I hate this is the case, but there will be times that we will need to or have to love and forgive people from a distance. And we do this because sometimes it's the healthiest thing for us and for our other family. Sometimes hardened hearts um, need need to soften at a distance. And because it keeps our hearts softened for prayerfully, hopefully, when they are ready to love more than just themselves and have that conversation. And I know some of you are struggling with the, with the weight of that. It's like, is that okay that we have to be distanced in, in this situation? And, and I'm telling you, if you're, following, if you're following God and his ideal for how we interact with, with our family and with other people, sometimes that is going to happen, and, and that's, that's okay. You're, you're doing the right thing by remaining softened in your heart so when they are ready to walk through that door of reconciliation, you can be too. And l- listen, family conflict, I mean, b- by no stretch of the imagination do I think we're going to fix all that in the course of a single sermon, right? I mean, there's so much more that could be said. But let me say that as we, because we go through th- these things, this is why it's so important that we are engaged with our personal relationship with God and our faith, that we don't just kind of reserve it for one day of the week, but we're constantly in Scripture, we're constantly in prayer, um, that we're engaged with other godly relationships with men and women that, that can encourage us and walk through those things with us, counsel us, keep us accountable, encourage us uh, for when, uh, from when we deal with those things so we can rely on the relationships that are unified and centered on a godly foundation when we have to deal with the relationships that aren't. And here's the other thing. Um, if you have any issue that you're working through, I, I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm here for you. I'm willing to pray for you, meet with you, talk about that. We can talk through what Scripture has to say about whatever situation you're dealing with. Uh, any of our staff are willing that. I mean, maybe somebody who invited you here this morning or sitting with you on the road, they're willing to do that with you too, I'm sure. Um, and the other thing is, I, I just want to put, put up two counseling, uh, Christian counseling organizations, and I'm going to just step to the side if you want to 
uh, take a picture of that or, or get that later. It will be online. Um, our video uh, of, the, of the sermon will be online on Facebook or YouTube. You can check that out as well. Conflict is resolved through conversation and preparing our hearts and our minds to be centered on God, to be ready for those conversations is how we navigate them well. Let me pray for us. God, this is something that affects us all. No matter what our our family situation is, um, we have either gone through conflict, we're going through it right now, or we're about to at some point in the future. And God, as we we do this, I I mean, it it gets down into... um, some of the core of who we are, it, it becomes wrapped up in our identity sometimes. Um, it, it, it can overwhelm our focus and our purpose and affect the ideas of how we think about our meaning and, and, and who we are. And so God, I, I just ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, that you guide us to your wisdom and how to navigate that conflict well. That as we, we consider who you have called us to be, that that would be, that would be the forefront of how we approach those situations, that we would think less about ourselves, even less, you know, uh, making the other person's interest uh, above our own, yes, but, but even not solely about that as well, but making about your interest in that relationship, how you want to see that progress, the ideal that you have for us, and the love, the peace, the joy, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that you want to see represented in our family. We're all going to go through it, but there, there's, a, there's a good way for us to go through it through you. And so we ask that you keep us mindful of that, that you remind us in the moment, those passionate, heated moments that we might be in, of who you are and who you call us to be. God, we thank you for the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. As, as sometimes we don't even have the words to say, but, but we know that you intercede for us on our behalf, that you counsel us, that you help us. God, help us to be, help us to have hearts that are, that are softened toward that as we navigate these issues in our, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.